If you'd like to follow along, we're reading in our New Testament reading this Lord's Day from Acts chapter 20. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return to Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. And he went before to ship and sailed into Assos, there intending to take in Paul. For so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Assos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived in Samos and tarried at Tregillium. And the next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears, and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, 
saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. May the Lord bless the word as it has been read and now as it is preached. Our text this Lord's Day is from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In our fast-paced society, keeping a calendar of coming appointments and events has become a regular part of our lives, especially with a failing memory like that of my own. We schedule appointments to see the doctor, meetings to see clients or business associates, a day to go shopping, an examination to be taken at school, a vacation three months in advance in order to get in on that ticket sale until our calendars are completely full with events which we have planned. We become so oriented to filling our calendars and making future plans for this or that until we forget that God is the one who holds the future. 
and ordains our paths every single day. We forget to sanctify our plans, even mundane and ordinary plans, with God's blessing, with God's prayer. It is so easy with such a busy schedule to act as though we ourselves are sovereign in directing our own paths and ordering our own lives. Dear ones, such carelessness on our parts is sinful neglect. We act like atheists who believe man is author and determiner of his own destiny. Then we add to our sin, for when our goal is finally reached, that goal which we had planned to reach, we accomplish what we had intended, we take great pride in what we've accomplished and pat ourselves on the back that we accomplished our goal. How foolish we are. Listen to the word of the Lord. From Proverbs 16:9, A man's heart deviseth, or planeth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Again, Proverbs 19:21, There are many devices or plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Proverbs 20, verse 24, Man's goings or steps are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? Or see how the brothers of Joseph proposed a plan to sell Joseph as a slave so as never to hear or see him again. But God determined according to his own wise and holy plan to make Joseph ruler of Egypt so as to bring his brothers again within his sight to appear before him that they and their families might be preserved. Man proposes, but God disposes all things for his own glory. Therefore, what a sad commentary it is upon us as Christians. And we who call ourselves Calvinists, who profess to believe in an absolutely sovereign God when we do not look to our gracious God to direct us and to bless all of our appointments tomorrow, all of our plans for tomorrow, since all our times are in His hand. According to Psalm 31.15, from our text, let us consider these two points. First, a caution about the future from Proverbs 27.1a and second, a reason for this caution Proverbs 27.1b First then, a caution about the future 20, Proverbs 27.1a Boast not thyself of tomorrow Solomon warns us concerning a sinful inclination to which we are all subject. And that is presuming upon the future that we will live out tomorrow so as to fulfill all of our appointments just as we have planned. Such a presumption on our parts proceeds from sinful pride 
and unbelief. For in so doing, we, in effect, usurp the place of God, acting as though time was our creation rather than God's, and living as though we were masters and lords of our own destiny. Dear fellow Christians, when the Lord is excluded from our plans for the future, even the mundane and ordinary plans, cleaning the house, going shopping, driving to work, when he's excluded from all of our plans, we simply presume that the Lord will grant us another day to do these things and all apart from any acknowledgement that tomorrow belongs not to us but to the Lord our God. James draws our attention to the same presumptuous sin in James chapter 4 verses 13 through 16 where we read these words. Go to now, or in other words, consider this, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Notice that James writes concerning the sin that when our plans for tomorrow are not made tentatively in our minds and even tentatively with our lips, if the Lord will, we show that we rejoice in our own pride. We reveal that we act as though <clears throat> we were God, who by His decree, by God's decree, has established whether there will be, in fact, a tomorrow for us or not. James declares that all such rejoicing in our pride about the certainty of there being a tomorrow for us is evil. It's evil to rejoice, to boast, to act as though we're absolutely certain and to plan as if we're absolutely certain that there will be a tomorrow for us. God says that is evil. That is boasting. That is presumption. It's contrary to His will. It is to proudly rob God by our actions and our speech of his sovereign power and divine authority over our lives. And from what source does such pride issue forth? Ultimately, I would suggest to you that it issues forth from unbelief and misplaced faith. For the Lord reveals to us in his word that it is in him that we live and move and have our being and not in ourselves, according to Acts 17.28. Every beat of the heart, every breath that we take, every thought that comes to our mind, every movement of the hand or of the foot, every sound we hear, 
every sight we behold, every minute that we live is ordained by God Almighty. Job chapter 14, verse 5 says so truly, Speaking of man, seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Do we believe this is true? That our days are numbered by the Lord? Our times are in his hands? The bounds are set by God? As Christians, of course, we believe this to be true. However, the unbelief here appears in that we think and we speak and we act as though it were not true when we make plans for tomorrow apart from sanctifying those plans with God's blessing and prayer. For just as the food we eat, all the food that enters into our mouth is to be sanctified by prayer and the word so are all of our tomorrows and all of the events within those tomorrows to be sanctified by prayer and the word to the glory of Jesus Christ beloved we realize the great benefit that is ours in our communion with Jesus Christ when we live in the presence of Christ moment by moment And likewise, He desires that we live in His presence not only in the present, but in making our plans for the future. That He not be excluded from those plans. That all that we do, whether it's something we do every day, like go to work, get out of bed, whatever it is, those plans the night before be committed to the Lord. As we lay our heads down upon our pillow, that we commit all of those things that we are to do. We try to walk ourselves through the things that we are scheduled to do tomorrow and ask God's blessing upon those things. When we do not do so, we have fallen into, whether knowingly or ignorantly, we have fallen into the sin of tempting and challenging God as to his lordship over our lives. Consider the examples of those who made such foolish plans for the future but did not include Jehovah God in those plans. Think of the people of Babel in Genesis 11.3 who wanted to build this huge tower that extended into the clouds to heaven to show forth their own might and power. Many have speculated that as a temple of some kind to worship other gods, but to glorify themselves in effect. And God spoiled those plans. They said, tomorrow in effect, we're going to do this. And God said, no, you're not going to do that. Or think of David in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. I'm sorry, in 2 Samuel 24, 1. Looking down the page a little too much there. 2 Samuel 24, 1 where David said, tomorrow, in effect, I'm going to number 
My army. <clears throat> now, when one numbered his army, as we read in the scripture, he did so when it was time to war, when it was time to fight. And God called specifically leaders at particular times to number their army. But to do so simply because one wanted to see how great their army was, was to take pride in the flesh and confidence in the flesh. To lean upon the arm of flesh. God was highly offended with David's plans to number the army and brought a plague even upon Israel as a result. And so, we see as well in the case of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 18.1 he said, I'm going to go to battle with Ahab, a wicked king, wicked king of Israel. I'm going to join forces with Ahab. But at least Jehoshaphat said, I'm not going to listen to these 400 prophets or these, these prophets of uh, Baal that you've brought, these false prophets. I'm not going to listen to these men in <clears throat> obtaining counsel. Uh, call for one <clears throat> who is a true prophet of God. And Micaiah was called forth to, to give God's word and God's will. But even after hearing what Micaiah had to say, Jehoshaphat, a righteous king, a, a, a believing king, yet erred greatly in continuing to go and to follow his own plans for the future, excluding Jehovah God from those plans. He met with defeat and nearly cost him his own life. Or the rich man in the parable in Luke chapter 12, who looked at all that he had and said, I'm going to tear down the old barns and I'm going to build bigger and better barns. Now, there's nothing wrong with a plan to do that. If one is, is, uh, sees such prosperity. But the fact that he left God out of the picture. God was not included in his plans. He was simply doing so at his own, for his own glory. Bring credit to boast of his own prosperity. And again, the Lord says, Thou fool, tonight thy soul is required of thee. Then who will all of these things belong to? Now, on the other hand, we also have many examples of those who did sanctify their future plans with prayer and seeking God's direction and receive divine approbation and approval from God. For example, the servant of Abraham in Genesis 24, verse 12, when he was sent by Abraham to find a wife for his son Isaac. This godly servant prays unto the Lord and says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. And then he says to him, in effect, what is <coughs> what is about to occur, Lord, if this be thy will, let this particular woman offer to me and to all the camels that have accompanied me water. 
And God did hear the prayer of this servant. Or again, we do see David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8. Inquiring at the, at the hand of the Lord as to whether he should pursue and go after his enemy, asking God, should we go after them? Wilt thou grant us victory if we do so? God says, go. I will grant thee victory. Included God's will and God's approval in his plans. The Lord Jesus Christ, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, concluded his prayer, not my will, but thine be done. Concerning what was to, on the morrow, occur to him. The apostles in Acts 4, verses 29 and 30, had just been released from prison. And they come back and they ask God to give to them confidence, courage, and strength that in the coming tomorrows that they might have boldness to preach faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. They didn't go forth in their own strength. They didn't go forth simply because it was their calling to do so. They went forth in their calling asking God's blessing upon their calling. And certainly if that's the case, I would say with that calling, since we not all have the same calling, it ought to be the case with your calling, whatever God has called you to do, to do exactly the same thing. That God would be blessed in your calling. God reveals that he is to be included in all of our plans for the future. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, listen. Very familiar promise that God makes. But let us not forget this promise. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, not just your present ways, but your future ways. In all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. There's a promise, dear ones. You commit all of your ways, your future ways, to him. He promises. He will direct your paths. Now, dear ones, I would have you to see that God is not condemning all goals and plans we might set for the future. What he condemns is boasting in our plans of the future wherein we sanctify our own plans by our our own will and blessing, excluding God. That's what's condemned. It's not the setting of godly goals for the future that is condemned here. It's boasting in our own plans for the future, not including God. In various ways, we see how God approves of such godly foresight in our parts in preparing for the future. Consider the following admonitions from this very book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 10.5, concerning preparing, preparation, looking to the future. Proverbs 10.5 He that gathereth in summer is a wise 
son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. One doesn't prepare for the winter by gathering in the harvest at the appropriate time, and he has sealed his fate. He's a lazy sluggard. He's not made appropriate preparations for the future. He's not set a godly goal for what he ought to accomplish in his calling. Proverbs 24, 27. <clears throat> Prepare thy work without, that is outside, and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. In other words, pre prepare first how you're going to day-to-day -day live. <clears throat> you can live in, in, a, in a shanty if you have to, but you need food to eat day by day. Prepare your fields, your crops, your sheep <clears throat> that will provide clothing for you. And then, in that preparation, you are making ready to build a house. Proverbs 30, verse 25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Look to the ant, O sluggard, how he prepares for the winter to come. Look about you, in God's creation, how even the animals make preparation for times to come. How much more we who have a rational soul. We who have furthermore been saved by the grace of God and understand how important time is, how we should sanctify the future through prayer and God's blessing and preparation. Consider the example of Joseph who made preparation for the famine during seven years of prosperity when it would have been easy simply to sit back and enjoy the present abundance rather than preparing for the future devastation and calamity that would befall them. Also note the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verses 14 and following, wherein the Lord commends the foresight of those who planned and made a profit from the money given to them by their master, but condemns the one who did not prepare for the future day of reckoning when his master would appear and presented to his master that same one talent that was originally given to him. No preparation. No foresight. Even Paul <clears throat> planned, it says in the scriptures, to visit the saints in Rome after his visit to Jerusalem. It wasn't something that just happened haphazardly. He planned this particular journey. After this visit to Jerusalem, on his way to Spain, he wanted to stop in Rome. In Romans 16, verses 24 and 25. Beloved, it is the lazy sluggard who does not make godly goals for his future, but merely awaits without preparation to see what each day will bring. Can you imagine how foolish it would be to, say, plan a trip to Southern California but to make no preparation at all? Just hop in your car and know what highways you should take? Just say, I'm going to Southern California. Well, you might eventually get there. I don't know. 
but you're going to certainly not get there in any orderly manner. You're going to waste an enormous amount of time. <coughs> Unless you're independently wealthy, you're going to go hungry. You do a lot of sleeping in your car. <clears throat> Dear ones, we will only waste the time God has given to us if we do not prepare for the future by making godly plans. We will continually spin our wheels with a lot of noise and a lot of promises like a car stuck in a snowdrift. It just keeps spinning those wheels and they're just going. But you're not moving anywhere. And so will be the one who does not make godly goals and seek to reach them. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, But in all our ways we must acknowledge the Lord. And then he promises to direct our paths in the way we should go. You see, he may take us down the very path that we had planned to go, or he may scrap those plans and take us down another path which we had not planned to go. That's his prerogative as the Lord and Master of our time and why we must always ask his blessing upon our tomorrows. For who among us ever included in our own plans setbacks in health, injuries, loss of work, the death of children and loved ones, broken personal relationships, or periods of time where it seems that nothing is falling into place in our lives as we had planned? Whoever planned that? for their own lives. But dear ones, all of those events were included in God's plan for your life. And that is why the present and the future must be committed from day to day to the Lord our God. For man proposes, but God disposes. Have you become frustrated, angry, and even bitter over hopes, dreams, plans you have made for the future which have been interrupted, delayed, or even canceled. Dear ones, are we wiser than God? We imply as much if we think or act as though we could have come up with a better plan than God has brought about in our lives. In our anger, perhaps even silent or buried anger, which no one else sees, we attack the very character of God. We attack His wisdom when we're angry and frustrated and bitter. We attack His love that He says He has for us. We attack His faithfulness to His promise that's found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Where is our peace and contentment when it appears that all our plans for the future have been radically changed due to circumstances beyond our control. Remember the words of Paul who knew what it meant to have future plans changed by unforeseen events which God brought into his life. Philippians 1.29 For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When that is one's attitude, there is nothing that can happen in your life or mine well, that will not turn out to be a blessing. When it is your life to live for Christ, 
then whether God takes you down this path or that path in the future, you're going to find Christ. Each day along the path and at the very end of the path, Christ will be there. You can't possibly be disappointed if Christ is your life. And you will only live in disappointment if he is not your life. Although we are to make godly plans for the future, invoking God's blessing upon them, we are not to give way to anxiety and fear about the future. In Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 31 through 34, we're not to fear the future. We're not to be anxious about the future. Jesus says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. That simply means don't become anxious about the morrow. It doesn't mean that you can't make certain plans against sanctified by prayer and the word. Take no thought to be anxious about tomorrow. To worry about tomorrow tomorrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the days the evil thereof <clears throat> Philippians 4:19 for my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus Psalm <clears throat> 37 verses 4 and 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. <clears throat> Commit thy way unto him, unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The Lord will withhold no good thing from us, from those who walk uprightly. <clears throat> there was a slogan years ago by one of the insurance companies which said, you see this, you're in good hands <clears throat> with all states. Maybe that, I don't know, dates me. I don't know if that's commercial, that slogan's still around. <clears throat> but stuck in my mind. Beloved, you are in good hands. You are in the best hands of Christ Jesus. For Romans 8.32, the Apostle Paul says very clearly to us as his people, <clears throat> he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things not some things he will freely give us all things that we need to glorify him in this life and the life to come and so I ask where is your trust in the Lord when you're future plans don't work out <clears throat> do you give up do you throw up your hands do you throw in the towel and dive into the depths of depression self-pity why of course the answer being we're sinners we all do so 
to varying degrees. But we need to understand the Lord, no matter what occurs in our lives, the Lord has not failed us. The Lord has not failed us. He is leading and he is guiding into the future and into the unknown territory just as he did Abraham into unknown territory. According to Hebrews 11.8, as he led Abraham out, the scripture says he led him out into a land that Abraham knew not. He didn't know where he was going, but he was simply being led by the Lord. make godly goals for your life every day work diligently by God's grace toward those goals but rest in him to bring it all together in his time and in his way and for his glory and for your greatest good and if the plan should change rest confident that God knows what he's doing Thus, let us not boast proudly about all of the tomorrows that we have scheduled, for they belong to the Lord and not to us. The second main point, a reason for this caution. In Proverbs chapter 27, the second part of verse 1, For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The reason given here by Solomon as to why we must not boast about tomorrow is that we are not omniscient in knowing what tomorrow may bring. The Lord declares the end from the beginning because he has decreed from eternity the end from the beginning according to Isaiah 46.10. All events are within the grasp of God knowledge and almighty providence. From the casting of the lot in Proverbs 16.33 to the exact number of hairs that are upon our head in Luke 12.7 to the falling of a sparrow to the ground in Matthew 10.29 to the sin of man the sin, the most heinous sin putting Christ to death decreed by God in Acts 4.27 and 28 to the provision of our daily needs. In Matthew 6.30, to the very salvation of man. In 2 Timothy 1.9. And therefore James, in James 4.15, declares to us that we should always make tentative plans for the future and even qualify our godly appointments for the future with, if the Lord will, or God willing, And if not explicitly stated, then implicitly within our own minds. That qualification is always there. One significant event, beloved, that may occur tomorrow, which we have not planned. I doubt any of us have planned this event for tomorrow, which we've not foreseen. Maybe our own death may be our own death there are some we visit with today we may not see next Lord's Day it's happened before could happen again will likely sometime in our life happen again 
Consider the following ways, dear ones, that the shortness of life, the nearness of death is portrayed in Scripture. It's portrayed as in hand breath, the, the width of your hand, a hand breath from like this pinky to this thumb. It's that short in comparison with miles and miles and miles of territory. That's how life is, according to Psalm 39.5. It's compared to a night's sleep. A night's sleep in its shortness, according to Psalm 90, verse 5. It's compared to grass that grows and is cut down. We know how quickly grass grows during the summertime, and you know, a few days later we cut it off. Well, that's how life is. We grow and within a short period of time, we're cut off physically. It's like a vapor or a mist which quickly dissipates when the sun appears, according to James 4.14. Beloved, physical death is divinely appointed for all, for all men, whether male or female, whether prince or pauper, whether married or single, whether parent or or child, whether young or old, whether Christian or non-Christian. The only ones who will not die are those who live at the coming of the Lord and they will be translated, transformed at that precise moment. The rest of the human population will about certain appointments in this life. They may even refuse to keep some appointments because they just don't want to go to those appointments. But there's one appointment for which no man or woman or child will be late, will forget, or can refuse to keep. And that is death. As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, God says in Hebrews 9.27. To those who have not embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as their only hope of eternal salvation, death is the end of earthly joys and the beginning of eternal sorrows. To those who have received Christ and his free offer of eternal life, death is the end of earthly sorrows and the beginning of eternal joys. But someone may ask, what is really the benefit of becoming familiar or reflecting upon the certainty of our own death, which may prevent us from fulfilling our future plans? What's the benefit of reflecting on our own death? Let me suggest to you several benefits reflecting upon your death the death of your spouses, if you should survive them. The death of your children, if you should survive your children. Friends, other family members. What is the benefit upon that we can receive from reflecting upon the certainty of death? First of all, because our death is certain, we should shake ourselves from our own hypocrisy and going through the mere motions of our Christian faith. We cannot play games with God, dear ones. God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. There is coming a time when all facades and acting the part of a Christian will fade away and we will either enjoy 
the heavenly blessings of a genuine living faith in Jesus Christ or suffer the hellish curse of a dead faith which trusted in our own good works and played games with God. That's the first. The second benefit. Because our death is certain, we should more seriously consider what God would have us to do with our lives in seeking a godly vocation and calling in this life. And in so doing, we ought not only to consider our gifts and desires and the financial compensation we might expect to receive, but most importantly, how we can more effectively promote the kingdom of God through our calling in this life. A third benefit from reflecting upon our death. Because our death is certain, we should realize that not only do we need life through Christ, but our loved ones need life through Jesus Christ as well. In fact, all men will perish if they do not eat and partake of the bread of life who came down from heaven to give his life to sinners. We should see the eternal significance of pressing home to our children their need of Jesus Christ of earnestly praying for God to draw them to himself, of spending more time in that which will promote their spiritual well-being than that which will merely promote their earthly pleasure. Dear ones, as we become acquainted with the certainty of death in our daily lives, we also become more interested in bringing the gospel of salvation to this needy world of lost sinners. We will weep for the lost who are perishing and burning, as it were, in a building ready to go down or drowning in a sea and ready to go under for the last time. We will pray for faithful ministers. We will give of our resources, of our offerings to see the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward to faithful ministers and the proclamation, distribution, of literature, establishment of faithful reformed and covenanted churches. Another benefit from reflecting upon our own death is a sober consideration of our own death ought not to cause us to press the panic button. For it is God our Father who has ordained the days that we should live for His glory and for our own good. But this truth, dear ones, ought to bring the Christian the fact that we are going to die, the certainty of our death, ought to bring us out of fantasy land and back to reality. If he or she has allowed the cares of the pleasures of this life to blur his or her spiritual or heavenly vision. It's not that we can't enjoy the things of this life. It's not that we can't even enjoy pleasures within this life. But when they begin to detract and blur and mislead us and misguide us in directions where we ought not to be going, then it has become a hindrance. And we have forgotten, really, we have really forgotten the certainty of our death. The certainty of our death that it could occur tomorrow or the next day. Next, because we have no guarantee that we will be alive tomorrow, we cannot waste the time, the talents, and the resources that God gives us, but rather we must redeem everything in our life for Christ's use. You see, dear ones, you may not see yourself as possessing any great talents to be used in Christ's kingdom, but the Lord has blessed each and every one of you who belong to Him with certain gifts and abilities to be used for His kingdom. 
go back to the, the parable of the talents that we were talking about earlier in the sermon in Matthew 25. One thing we all have the same quantity of is time. 24 hours in each day. We all have the same amount of that. We may have different amounts, of differing amounts of money, differing amounts of gifts, graces, but we all have the same amount of time. You, you give each day, dear ones, to the Lord in prayer. Do you sanctify the next day that God may give to you with his blessing and ask to be used mightily of the Lord in whatever you are doing that you might glorify him? Or do you just allow Christ's kingdom to kind of come on its own? Dear ones, next and, and lastly, an intimate and personal recognition of our own weakness to rescue ourselves from death should drive us from placing confidence in man, whether in our ability to provide for ourselves the necessities of life or to provide for ourselves by our own good works a righteousness of which a holy God will approve. We are totally, absolutely helpless to save ourselves. We are doomed to die. We can't save ourselves from that death. We will die physically. That should remind us that just as we cannot save ourselves from our death, we cannot save ourselves from hell. We cannot save ourselves from starvation. We cannot save ourselves from absolute poverty. We cannot save ourselves from poor health. We cannot save ourselves from any of those miseries of this life. It is God, every step along the way, that saves us from those things. And our death reminds us of that truth and of that fact. Therefore, our death should drive us to see that our only hope of eternal salvation is in Jesus Christ, for He is the resurrection and the life. You see, the question is not whether you will die. That is a certainty. The only question is when will you die. It could be today, tomorrow, next month, next year, or many years from now. Regardless of how long, because it will happen sooner or later, we must not plan our lives as if it will never happen but rather plan our lives in such a way as to consider the certainty and the nearness of death in order that we may make our todays and all of our tomorrows count for the Lord Jesus Christ. If that thought is fearful to you today, dear ones, the certainty of your death, I can only encourage you to cast yourselves upon Him who has overcome death, whose grave is empty, who is seated at the right hand of God to cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ. For He will give courage. He will give faith. He will give joy in even facing death. For the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand together in prayer.
Our Father, we do confess our sin and not including Thee in all of our activities of tomorrow, but acting and behaving, O Lord, in many ways as if Thou did not exist, as if we were the master and ruler of our own destiny. We ask that Thou would forgive us and cleanse us, O Lord, from our sin. We pray that tomorrow would not be a fearful event for us, whatever it holds. But because, O Lord, we live from day to day, because Jesus Christ is our life and our reason for living, that we would live in hope even if death itself should face us. For we only gain and not lose anything. We only gain everything by death. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. We ask our Father that Thou would would cause us therefore to be diligent, to make plans and goals, to seek to reach them as they are godly, but to, O Lord, see that they are sanctified by the word and by prayer. We ask our Father that Thou would deliver us from all such vain boasting about tomorrow and living as if we ourselves are eternal, robbing Thee of Thy glory. We ask, Father, that Thou would give to us renewed faith this day and trust in Jesus Christ that all who hear and have heard the gospel presented today would come, even those who have trusted in Christ, would come and receive of the, of the, the life and uh, of the living waters that flow from Jesus Christ to renew their faith in Christ and partake afresh and anew. And those who have not come before, O oh Lord, that they would come and partake, that they, O oh Lord, even though they die, they may live forevermore with Thee. We ask, O oh Lord, these things because Jesus Christ is our life. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, 
abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.